the subject of the evening talk is the denial and affirmation of life. Any kind of exposure to the world of religion, irrespective of what particular religion one is one has in mind, may well bring oneself to the view at times that there is a life denial or life denying factor or factors within that religion. And the major world, world religions, and Buddhism is certainly no exception, has that implication within the way the message is transmitted. And one sees this too in our Western Judaistic Christian religion, in which there is often a denial of life activities, Sometimes the, the promise of some utopian existence after life, in which the one is told to put up with the, 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 the troubles and trials and tribulations of existence. Sometimes it shows itself in the rejection of, of the body, lack of awareness and appreciation to the sensitivities of the entire or organism. And it shows itself too in the, within the Buddhist traditions as well, in which they can so easily be developed and, and cultivated through the messages that one picks up, an attitude of mind which seems to conclude that life is nothing but a bowl of suffering. <laughs> I'm just warming up to say some more on that theme. <laughs> and in a centre and facility such as here, there is, as you know, a, a background of and sphere of influence which is called the Theravada tradition. <laughs> I'm putting it incredibly mildly, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> and this particular uh, background has such that through the centuries has emphasized certain areas or elements of life and rather unfortunately has taken them to be some God-given truth. And what one notices at the historical level that this particular tradition is primarily the work of scholars who lived several hundred years after the Buddha and as a work of scholarship drew upon the Buddha's teachings, formulated those teachings into various uh, structures and um, 
um, um, formulations and presented them. And for a long, long time, and still that time still continues, few people were actually interested in the total practice and application of the, of the teaching, using all the resources of the original teaching. And many were far more interested in the accumulation of knowledge under the influence of these scholars. And one of the major scholars, best known within the Theravada tradition, is the, the scholar Buddha Gosha, who lived in the 5th century. And what, one, so what easily has occurred, and, it is, and the influences with scholars and with med- meditation teachers, is the influence which adopts the viewpoint of the scholars which is so often quite different from that which the Buddha has given. And we're a classic example and where it easily comes to express a life-denying view of existence is the frequency within Theravada Buddhist countries of the use of three of these concepts called a Nietzsche, <laughs> which is the the Ommani Padmi Hum of Theravada Buddhism, <laughs> <laughs> and those other two mantras, Dukkha and Anatta. And these three concepts, a Nietzsche meaning, for those of you who haven't yet miraculously miraculously haven't yet found out. And Nietzsche means impermanence, it means change. Dukkha means suffering and sometimes uh, when put a little bit more moderately uh, unsatisfactoriness. And Anatta sometimes it's thrown out as no self which is about as far as one can go in a life-denying activity. And the, uh, the other... <laughs> Our, and sometimes it's tra- translated, and I think a little bit more skillfully, as not-self, mean, meaning a way of seeing which one sees as an example, the body, its life, its expression, its, ex- its existence, and one in that seeing, one isn't saying, this is me, this is what I am, but seeing, this is the nature. Not self, not me, not myself, but this is the nature in which, un- which, in which there is an influence upon by the mind. Or, to put it another way, in more familiar contemporary Western language, um, impersonal. Impersonal nature. Just nature occurring in all its extraordinariness. So these, such as these kind of concepts, a Nietzsche... Dukkha and Natta, impermanence, <coughs> suffering, no self, are thrown out and read and reiterated somewhat ad nauseum. <laughs> and as a result in time, these formulate one's whole way of looking. If, in other words, if one says something loud enough and long enough, outwardly and inwardly, one believes it so totally that's all that one sees. 
And when that is all that one sees as far as this world is concerned, taking those three concepts and the way that they are frequently presented, that is an expression of a life-denying view of existence. And so what seems to happen through the exaggerated employment of these concepts, and an exaggeration of anything in life distorts it, through the exaggerated employment of these concepts, not only does one see life in, in, in that way, right through from beginning through to end, and as someone mentioned to me the, the other day here, that uh, one may speak of um, suffering in birth, aging, sickness and death, but in employing and just throwing out the concept suffering, 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 it tends to deny, a become a denial of the other factors within the birthing process. And if anyone has witnessed the birthing process, it is also an area of extraordinary um, beauty. And anyone who has seen someone who has lived fully and has died with, with clarity, there's nothing suffering about it if one, the people outwardly are in love and, and caring and sensitive. It's all a question of one's way of looking. So one has to be, I feel, careful or skillful or aware where are these kind of concepts which have a validity, of course, where are these concepts, concepts usefully employed? Where is that way of seeing valuable and necessary? Because if we don't see clearly and skillfully, it will pervert perception itself. So, in other words, an exaggerated use of these and seeing life through these coloured glasses not only affects how we look at the world, but our actual perceptions become affected, tainted, by the application of such language. And there is no validation for it in what the Buddha has said. Nowhere. <laughs> but, in, but within the in the world of scholarship, it's validated. And I know where I put my money, if I had any. <laughs> <laughs> in a taking, taking that into consideration with one's whole practice and the development of one's whole practice, yes, a relative characteristic of existence is that it is changing. To say that is an ultimate truth of existence is to be in the field of views and opinions. It is a relative fact of existence. So in one's looking and seeing life, yes, it's necessary to live in tune with life, in harmony life, be connected with life. And in that one moves with the events of life. And those events of life are coming, they're going, they're formulating, they're appearing in consciousness. Consciousness is affected by those events. Those events change and make way for new events. 
Yes, so one sees, one sees that. One sees too in the whole field of life the expression of in different times, in different situations of suffering. The suffering which comes, which one experiences, mind, body, and the spiritual suffering too. The spiritual suffering of, of, of feeling frustrated, of, of, feel, of feeling stuck, of not understanding, of seeming to lose access to, to love and to, and to compassion, the feeling of drying up or whatever. And there's a, there are these spiritual difficulties which arise and, and they can create suffering that what the Christian mystics refer to as divine discontent. And we've all of us in different times and phases in our life have, have undergone that kind of suffering in, in our life, that spiritual suffering, plus the suffering of mind and body. That too is an actuality in this in this world that, that, that we, that we live, live in. And similarly now, looking to the impersonal nature of existence, whether it shows itself in, in the events of life where, where there's violence and death, where there's earthquakes and, and famine, the, the impersonal events of life and where human, human beings their own, the, one's own mind, body is so unreliable, so difficult, it's so impersonal. Everything that one would like to, to be as a clear or a calm or loving human being is not possible because of the events in, in one's life, in, in one's mind. So one sees and makes clear connection with these, these truths, these realities of existence and part of the maturing process is learning to live with them. Learning to live with them. But, as I mentioned, the, the danger is of an exaggerated form of that in one's mind, in one's perception. When, one's, when, one, when there is an exaggerated form, it goes from that to a further expression of a life-denying relationship to life, the, de the, the, the effort and struggle to get out of life, the effort and struggle to, for those who believe, to stop rebirth, the effort and struggle to reach some nirvana which somehow or other is totally removed from this, the effort and struggle to find a state of total dissolution to negate absolutely everything in any possible way. That is life-denying. And there's a tradition of it. And that, tra that tradition of it, one wonders, is that tradition, that emphasis, that encouragement, in that way, going to bring one to wisdom and all that is implied in it? If you begin to question, you begin to question what you hear, you begin to question the voices of authority and past and present, uh, 
east and west, you're in for a difficult time. You're in for a hard road. And the reason that you're in for a hard road is that the voices of authority, supported with the views and the experiences and, and conclusions, and with the frequent tendency to draw on points in the texts and scriptures, uh, can be such for the person who is questioning that they are so persuasive and so assured, self-assured in that manner which comes across that one feels and thinks and believes I must be wrong. I can't know. He, usually he, isn't it? <laughs> That's worth looking at too. He or she or they, for whatever reason, they must know. And something inside of oneself which questions or rebels or feels, well, it doesn't feel, it doesn't sit right. That's a good one, isn't it? It doesn't sit right with, <laughs> sit right with, with me. It becomes denied. One actually suppresses that and one is once again engaged in a life-denying activity. Put it another way. Someone asked the Buddha, why do we lead this life, this way of life, a way of life which cultivates ethics and moral responsibility and awareness and meditation and sensitivity and love and affection? And, and this person asked, why do we lead this life? And the Buddha's reply was, because it's such a happy life to lead. Now you would never know that if you just buy into the package of the miseries of a Nietzsche, Dukkha and Anatta. <laughs> so in giving, in our, in our listening and in hearing inside of oneself something which re re rebels, which something which is not wrong, not wrong, but something which is exaggerated. It's the exaggeration of an emphasis which must be questioned. Just as the mind so easily can swing the other, other way, engage in blind affirmation of existence, the balance tilts to the other side and then becomes a form of unwillingness to see some of the other realities of life. So in our giving, consider giving consideration, it's important, obviously, to see the areas in our life where we need to look more carefully and skillfully, and more and more with a perception which is free from being tainted. And therefore, spiritual development includes, in the course and process of time, greater trust in oneself. Being in touch with oneself, especially as any practice deepens, takes on a greater and greater significance. <coughs> One must begin to move away, to away from the shadow of the past, in all the implications, religious and, and so forth, move away from the shadow and influence of the past, 
to what you feel inwardly for yourself. Otherwise, religion with its tendency towards this uh, denial of life becomes such a hindrance and a block to understanding and the freedom in life of that, that, that understanding brings. In moving away and being aware how one is caught up in a life-denying activity, yet maintaining that balance and harmony and equilibrium of life and not swinging to, to the other, simply requires what has been talked about here, that mindfulness and, and balance born out of observation. learning to be much more aware in life. To be much more aware in life means there must be, quite essentially, greater flexibility within one's own mind and heart. That expression of that fle flexibility and being in uh, communion with life in touch with life is such that one moves away or grows out of being purely a technician of meditation to one which is towards being far more deeply conscious and um, aware of what is occurring. In other words, some people become very good technicians within the process of meditation. They do all the right things do the breath in the way that it is in instructed, do the timetable in the way that it is instructed, go through the body in the way that it is in instructed. It's all very systematically laid out. And qu quite understandably, in a person's listening to that, may say, this is the way I've been told, this is appropriate, and trying to keep so tightly to something despite doing it correctly, misses the point. Some have missed the point for years. <laughs> despite, this is the, the thing, it's not that person is doing wrong, I don't want to reiterate, in spite of doing it correctly. sometimes to please another, sometimes because one then risk not doing it correctly. So we're now looking in our, in our, in our coming into a, a mindfulness, that mindfulness must also be such that it extends itself to where life is and where it's expressing itself. And just as we're giving a care and attention to our body, to our mind, to our heart, to our spiritual development, also, and this is particularly true of people who are staying in an environment and situation like this for a longer period of time, to people who are working in their daily life in a meditative way, it's so utterly necessary to bring out of oneself a greater awareness of the expression and the movement 
and the acknowledgement of life. And that awareness of an expression, of the expression and the movement and the acknowledgement of life, particularly of the beautiful in life, particularly of the um, of what one appreciates in life, serves, fairly obvious, as a necessary balancing factor. And balance of mind is, is an essential and indispensable to wisdom, to love, and to a transcendent understanding in life. This expression of awareness of the, and the sensitivity to life is, is so, so essential. And sometimes, because of the way we are, sometimes we don't even pick up on it. We simply don't notice. And our life with doing things right and doing what we have to do and doing things properly and scheming our life in such a way blinds us. Let me, let me give you a personal example, I might get the point over. At home, <coughs> we, where we live, Gwenwyn, my friend, girlfriend, and I, sh- such that in living in this house, she, since we have been there, she very much likes plants, loves plants, in fact. And so our our house is, in each room there are several plants and I notice they're growing in, in terms of numbers. And I can quite easily move around the house and be completely unaware of, of these plants <laughs> which are there. And her awareness and sensitivity is in such contrast to my own where she is aware if we move a plant because cleaning or tidying of of, of a draft coming through the door that's touching the plant or whether the sun is on the plant and the sun shouldn't be on the plant whether if I walk by and I brush the plant (laughs) 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 and so I can just kind of go about my thing in in the house and be quite blind to these expressions of life and it has only been through the frequency of reminder to myself that there is of these expressions of life in the house and being told and reminded again and again. It's beginning to click. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, and in, the, in a way it's beginning to open up inside of myself an appreciation for these life forms and a feeling of connection with them and a feeling of appreciation and a feeling of seeing their changes and the changes that they go through like oneself also (laughs) goes through (laughs) and that to me is all about being a little bit more aware and out, out of that appreciation of course some of the spiritual benefits have the opportunity to occur like love like affection, like sensitivity, like, like receptivity, like a sense of harmony with and, and, and being with. And, all, and as I say, each time that, that that is taking place, we're helping to see, yes, one side of life 
with all that is implied in that side of life, the hardship of life, the brutality of life, the aggressions and the confusions in, of life, with all that is else in life. And it seems sometimes, it seems to me as one exposed to religion um, uh, for much, much of my life, there's too much emphasis on the one side and too little emphasis on the other side. And this, we have to see. We have to see where that is showing, it, showing itself in the course of our day-to-day -day existence. And sometimes where there is this, particularly this attachment to form in life, to any kind of form in life, the form of a concept, the form of a way, the form of a method, the form of a style or whatever, so easily that blocks us to all that else that there is. And we forget that the whole purpose and function of a life of awareness and mindfulness is towards one which brings out everything in ourself. And for that we can't afford to live really with, with coloured glasses on. Taking that little bit further and a little bit deeper towards a balance and a, and a harmony of mind and all that is meaningful in that, one of the characteristics of coming towards a greater understanding that specialness in life and any kind of form or characteristic that it may show itself begins to lose its grip and freeing oneself is freeing oneself from the concept of specialness Freeing oneself from the concept of specialness, in this case, when one thinks one is special, that isn't life affirming. That is our ego grasping and holding and adhering, and it is in fact a life-denying activity. The holding tight to oneself in the various ways that we do that blocks out life an ego-centeredness in the kind of form that it shows itself tends to have a suffocating or limiting factor on existence and certainly not a liberating, freeing one. So in our being, in cultivating and, and in being aware of non-specialness in life and, and cultivating and finding a, a freer communication with life through not being so special in any way brings out the secrets of existence. We ask ourselves, but where today, in the course of today, have I as a human being been, been caught in the activity of building myself up. Where, where, where have I been involved in that kind of 
process? Where, 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 which particular way or ways has that actually been happening for me? And in our capacity to see and to, and to, to work with that, to, to dissolve some of that, through that, life itself must open itself up. Life itself must appear quite differently. So in taking any, any practice towards an, another order of seeing, a peculiarity of it is that one begins with the framework of concepts, begins with the framework of method and technique, begins with the framework of form and ways of looking, all of which can be appropriate and applicable, but any maturing process of the mind to take place that gradually all of that which one has used has to, has to keep being dropped. The very things keep letting go of, letting go of, letting go of, letting go of, because that which is, has a validity to it becomes its own hindrance. And in our, our willingness to, to let go of more and more, as we say and as we have said with, with frequency, that feeling of non-specialness is such that it applies to everything, all forms of experience, all forms of events. And in that opening up, the whole mind has the capacity to truly open up. in that capacity to truly open up, it, we do not fix ourselves so much on one thing that we deny all else. We can, if we wish, if we give ourselves time to look and see here or anywhere else, we can find much more freedom in ourselves if we truly decide to look and to find that freedom. If we truly decide to, to bring under question some of those things where we've helped, where we felt inside of ourselves it's uh, uh, dissatisfaction in any way. If we truly decide to really come to understand that and to work with that through whatever ways that is appropriate, then we will come to understand that. We will come to work with it if we truly decide that we will. If we truly decide in this life that we wish to live this life which is one of true freedom, the true freedom to see, the true freedom to, to be aware, the true freedom which even transcends the duality of affirmation and denial. And she even leaves, those, leaves them both behind. <coughs> we decide to see in that way, we can see in that way. There's nothing special about seeing at all.
So let us in our practice, in our meditations, in our knowledge and in our understanding, never let it be such as it has happened in the tradition so easily and so frequently that that which was meant to serve human beings becomes a hindrance. That which was meant to support human beings in the thirst and quest for truth and understanding actually hinders it. Never let our practice and our meditations finish up like that. Because that's possible. So be and keep our practice and our meditations and our whole existence open to exploration and learning and observation. And in that there is freedom and truth and dignity. into life. May all beings be in harmony with the expression of life. May all beings be free.